Good, man. I love that last song. Um, I mean, if you got some time, look it up. I think Kirk, Frank, Kirk Franklin does it, My World Needs You. Um, it's just, if there was a song that kind of summed up the message in Ruth, I think that would be perfect to fit in here. And we see um, just a, a hurting Naomi, a hurting Ruth, um, stricken with tragedy. Um, and the, but then we also see the grace of God uh, extended uh, through um, Boaz, just an incredible picture of our life and the, the grace that we receive and that the world needs. Um, so just incredible um, song. I love that. Um, didn't realize we were doing that. And just grateful for these guys, grateful for our volunteers here. Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Past several weeks, we've been diving into the book of Ruth. And uh, as I said earlier, um, a couple weeks ago, one of my goals was to kind of take this um, a chapter a Sunday, and today we're going to be in chapter three. Um, typically, we stream our services from South Tillo, um, but this is kind of a break for us that we get to kind of look in together um, at this this book. And Pastor Troy Comers and uh, South Tillo going through the same uh, book with them and it's just a for us a, a refreshing opportunity to to be here together um if if you've missed or or just to refresh your memory a couple things that we saw in this story is that it's a it's a spotlight book and it, this is going on during the time of the judges and we see some really um tragedy that takes place in Naomi's life that she loses her husband there's a famine um, they're, they're in a foreign land. She has two sons that she lost. And we see this tragedy after tragedy. And we can look back and see the mercy of God unfold before them. But in the midst of it, it's really tough to difficult to discern what the Lord's actually doing in your life. And at the end of chapter 1, even though she has Ruth with her, she says she comes to the conclusion that the Lord, the Almighty, has dealt very bitterly with me. She went away full, but she's come back uh, empty, blinded by um, what the Lord is, is actually doing in her life. And that's, it's true. Sometimes we can't see uh, what the Lord actually has planned for our life in the midst of situations, but we've got to cling to the Lord. We've got to trust that He's good. And so in chapter 2, we see some of the provisions um, and it's, it's so obvious that Naomi begins to see it for herself. Um, we see Ruth, uh, who has found favor in the eyes of Boaz. And Boaz is like, look, this is the Lord repaying you. And not only that, is it's, it's because she sought refuge in the Lord. And that's what, what Boaz says. She says, why, had, why do I deserve this? Why do I deserve this blessing? And he's, he says, because you sought the Lord. You sought the refuge in him. And then because of the food and the provisions, Naomi begins to see this, this mercy that the Lord has uh, extended. And at the end of uh, chapter 2, she says, His kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She goes from being empty, feeling like she's been uh, abandoned by the Lord, and then she sees this glimpse of hope here in chapter 2. And she comes to realize that his kindness has not forsaken them. Um, and Ruth, once we get to chapter 3, we see that Ruth is, is, is a story um, 
for people who wonder if a life of integrity is worth it. When times are difficult, when times are, um, when, uh, when the peop- everybody around us is not serving the Lord, not seeking uh, the Lord, is, is living a life of integrity, is it, is, does it really matter? Uh, and Ruth in this story shows us and answers that question. And one question I'd like to start us off with, and it's, I don't want to really spend a whole lot of time here, but I do want to start us off, is this question is that what is the balance in God's blessing and human responsibility? What is, what's the balance there between God blessing us and then us actually doing work? The balance between us trusting that, you know, in a sovereign God that all things will work together for our good, but then actually doing something about it, all right? But then also an, another question I'd like for us to look at is, in the midst of that, how do we pursue righteousness along the way to, to actually finding that balance of God's blessing in our life and actually doing some work? What, how do we pursue righteousness along the way? And I think in Scripture, we see those answers to the questions, even in the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we see blessing, we see responsibility, and we see provision. Uh, Just real quick, Genesis 1, you can just listen to me. It says, and God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and he said, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. We see God's blessing, but we also see some human responsibility here. But then we see God's provision in their life. Uh, And God blessed them, but he, he gave them some specific uh, responsibilities. And we see this in Ruth. We see this in chapter 1. We see this in chapter 2. We see that God made provisions for them during, in the midst of a famine. But then Naomi and Ruth had to travel back to Bethlehem to receive the provision. All right? We see in chapter 2 where God provided this field for them to, to glean, to, to have food. But they still had to work the field. And so we see that God has not called us to be lazy, but to do work and pursue righteousness along the way. And don't, don't confuse what I'm saying. This is, I'm not talking about our worth before the Lord. I'm not talking about salvation that we earn. Ruth and Naomi, they didn't earn um, righteousness. We see in chapter 1 that, uh, that Ruth trusted in the Lord. She said, your God is going to be my God. Chapter 2, Boaz pointed out that she had sought refuge in the Lord. Even in Genesis chapter 1, God had already declared that Adam and Eve had been made in the image of God before he gave them responsibility. So don't confuse that. I'm talking about blessing and favor and what our responsibility is. And so um, we get to chapter 3, and we see this take place again. But it's a little different. It, it's, it's not to, to fill an immediate need. It's not to, um, they're not looking for food. But we see in Naomi that she's concerned about finding a man for Ruth. This is a little more long-term provision, not something that's immediate. 
What you see in chapter 3 is a strategic plan for righteous living. I want to speak a little bit, just a moment, on hope. Because our hope gives us dreams. Our hope gives us, uh, helps us pursue a life of godliness. Hope helps us think of ways to do good for people. See, it's hopelessness that makes people believe that they've got to lie, steal, and cheat to get ahead in life. It's hopelessness that, that causes people that, to say that it, for me to do anything good out of my life, I've got to, to cheat the system. But it's hope that's based in the sovereignty of God, that he's for us, he loves us, he's not against us, he's going to provide for us. It's that hope that motivates us to be intentional about righteousness and living out a godly life. We see that Naomi has a strategy, and we're going to read uh, this in chapter 3. So before we do, let me pray for us, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to look into your word, to gather together as the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you speak to us. Lord, as we meet, Lord, there are several incredible churches that are meeting around us. Lord, doing the same thing. Lord, fill them with your spirit. Lord, help us be able to uh, just learn and hear from you. Lord, specifically us. Lord, help us to um, gain clarity and wisdom to live out a life that's righteous and blameless before you. Uh, We love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. So we'll pick up in verse 1, chapter 3. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Remember just the day before, or the chapter before, verse uh, 17, it says that she had gleaned in the fields all evening, all day. She got up in the morning, she gleaned in the fields, she stopped and rested for a little bit. She ate lunch, she went back to work. And here in chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi says, Look, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Look, we can't keep doing Look, We can do this. It's fine. But we've, we need some long-term provision here. And she says in verse 2, Is not Boaz our relative, uh, with, whom, with whose young women you were, seeing he is winnowing barley tonight in, at the threshing floor? So he says, look, is, is Boaz not one of our, our relatives? And, and let me point this out. Boaz is not related to Ruth. Sometimes we think this is, this is weird. All right, this is like her third cousin. No, he's related to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So this is kind of how that gets tied in. He says he's, he's going to be uh, winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Verse 3, wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. She replied, all that you say, I will do. Well, there's that. All right. First time I read this, I was like, what? All right. Um, So, ladies, Bible has some incredible examples for us to live a holy life, live a righteous life life to pursue righteousness this example like ruth is um we can see in this story that she has integrity she's there's um she's got godly character i don't know if this will 
play out for you like it will for Ruth. All right? So if you try this, I, try it. I don't know. I don't think. Okay. All right. And guys, let me just say, please respect women. They are made in the image of God. If you disrespect a woman, regardless of who she is, you're, you're, you're a coward. Um, it's evil that we've got to recognize that people are made in the image of God. I've got two boys. Um, I'm going to do the best I can to raise them, to respect women, to treat them like they are daughters of Jesus. Um, and Lord willing, don't know, um, Lord willing, we may have a daughter one day. And if that day comes, whoever, whenever she's allowed to date, maybe she... Uh, whoever it is, they're going to drive and pull up to our house. And if they have the audacity to honk their horn and wait, uh, there's nobody going to be home. All right? We will hide like your Jehovah's Witnesses. Look, we're not going to have any of that. All right? I'm just kidding. But let's let's try to look at this. All right? I'm just kind of stalling because this is weird. All right. If there's one thing that we can look at this this strategy to say the least that she has a plan. All right. I talked about hope earlier. Hopelessness keeps us in our hopelessness. If we have this vision like the Lord is against us and there's no coming out of this, that's what we're going to do. All right. So think about some of the things that had hit Naomi. There was a famine. They were hungry. She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She lost a daughter-in-law. All right? All of these things are weighing on her heart. And I'm, please don't miss that. I'm not making light of her situation. But when you uh, are focused on your hopelessness, you're not going to do anything about it. In fact, you're going to push people away. And that's what Ruth does, or Naomi does in chapter 1. She pushes, pushes her daughters-in-law away. She tries, look, it's hopeless with me. Don't stay with me and praise the Lord for Ruth. She doesn't. If you feel like you're in a hopeless situation, you're not going to do anything about it. But it's the hope that allows us to keep going. It's the hope that the Lord is there for us, regardless if we can see that or not. But motivated by hope, even in the midst of tough times, you begin to actually do something about it. And so in chapter 2, we see that there's this hope that lightens up in Naomi's life. And she begins to plan. She begins to look. I can't, I can't, we can't live this way. So we've got to do something about it. And so she makes this plan. As weird, as odd as it is, we see that in the, these first few verses in chapter 3. Naomi's aim is clear. Her purpose of this is clear. She wants to try to find a man for Ruth. To, to somebody who can pay off her husband's debt, to pay off her son's debt, to preserve the family line. The, the aim is clear. What's not clear is why in the world she would go about it this way. That's something we can't really know because it's not really given to us. It's not really clear. And I can just imagine, or I can't imagine, what Ruth is, what's going through her mind. Because I'm thinking, you know, what, a, what about a conversation? You know, just what, a, what about a phone call? What, a, you know, just slide into his DMs. I don't know, something. But this is, oh, this is crazy. 
but she's concerned about finding her a husband. And I don't know, maybe maybe you've experienced that in your own life. I'm, I got married when I was 27, so it's a little later than a lot of people. And so I heard that a lot. It's like, hey, um, anytime somebody new came to church, and I was like, people made it known to me that the, hey, this this girl's a Christian. What about her? I mean, and I don't know if like somebody's trying to find you a man, somebody's trying to find you a woman. It's I, I can relate to to Ruth. Just saying. All right. So in this, don't really know why. Don't really know. Um, Where exactly Ruth was supposed to lie down? Evident, evidently, um, Naomi knew that Boaz was going to take care of the situation. Don't know what he was supposed to say to Ruth. But there are two outcomes right here. All right, one we have this picture of this passionate s- sexual sin as an outcome, or we have this surprisingly incredible scene of purity, integrity, and self-control. Really, that's the only, you either um, pursue it or you, or you don't. Verse 5, Ruth says that, all right, I'll, I'll do everything you say. Verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz has, had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. You are a redeemer. Now, so Naomi says, Look, Boaz will tell you what to do. And then Ruth, kind of unprompted by Naomi, says, look, I'm I'm Ruth, Um, I'm a servant, I'm here, and you are the next of kin. You are a redeemer, all right? So basically, she's laying out her intentions from the start, which is good, all right? She's not dragging anything along. She's like, you know, what's the story with you guys? Are you, you know, you guys in a relationship or what? You know, no, we're just talking. You know, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. No, she's like, look, you're the next to Ken. You're the redeemer. Chip, chop, chip. Let's go. All right? Um, she's pretty bold. She says, spread your wings over me. Another word here is skirt or the hem of his garment. Now, whether or not Boaz sees this as something sexual will depend on how he estimates the character in Ruth. And we know that in the Old Testament, sex outside of marriage is sinful. We know in the New Testament, sex outside of marriage is sinful, just like it is today. But we know Ruth's character. We know that she clung to Naomi in chapter 1. We know that she sought refuge in the Lord and she was humble and she was meek and she was willing to, to go and provide for her and Naomi. So we know her character. It's on display in the first couple chapters. So what, what does this mean? What does she mean by spread your skirt, uh, spread your, your wings over me? So I spent some time this week to kind of look at if there were any other uh, examples in Scripture. And the only other place 
that talks about you know this kind of phrase, spread your skirt or or spread your wings over me in in context of uh, a relationship with two people are in love. Only other place is Ezekiel 16. This instance in this passage, the Lord is talking to the nation of Israel. He describes them as his bride, just like it does in Revelation. That's just like it does in other places in Scripture. His relationship with the church, with the people of God, are the bride of Christ. And it says in verse 8, he says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at age for love, and I spread the corner of my skirt or, or my wings over you and covered your nakedness. This is talking about the sin of Israel. He said, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. And so, Ezekiel, if this is any indication of what Ruth was trying to express to Boaz, this is way past sexual. She was essentially saying, look, I want to be the one whom you pledge your faithfulness to. I want to enter into that marriage, that covenant relationship with you. So, in verse 10, we see his response. Verse 10, he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. And in that, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. We've got to understand the moment and the situation of what's going on. It's midnight. It's beautiful outside. The stars are are shining down. He's looking at somebody he loves. He loves her. She loves him. They're alone. They could do something and and nobody would know. Essentially kind of get away with, with anything here. She's under his cloak. And in the midst of all this, he pumps the brakes and stops for the sake of righteousness. And this is kind of the opposite of of our culture in America. The mood in American life today is that if it feels good, do it. That's the the, uh, the essentials of hedonism. that, That your primary goal in life is the glory of you. And so if it feels right, do it. And this is, look, and I think it's interesting that the context that we live in is similar to theirs. Because remember in Judges, there wasn't a king. So every man did what they felt was right in their own eyes. So we see this parallel in our own culture, our own society. It says, look, if if you want to indulge in sinful things, do it. Who's going to care? Look, if you're in this moment, it's beautiful out. You're alone in your, the, the privacy of your place. You have this opportunity to indulge in this. Look, let me encourage you to stop for the sake of righteousness. Let the morning come and you're able to stand 
blameless before the Lord. Don't, don't give in. Don't give in to the temptations that, that war at your soul. Don't, don't give in to what the world or society says that, that you've got to do. And as odd as this situation may seem, what we have is two godly people pursuing each other profoundly in love, but powerful in self-control and committed to righteousness. And not, not only sexually, look at verse 12. He says, and now it is true, I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And so he realizes that it's not even his place to redeem her in this moment. And so if we could, if we could take a lesson from some Boaz, from Ruth, a couple things Real quick, I've got a question that I'd, I'd like to, for us to address. Is how can we have a strategy for holiness? I asked earlier, how can we, in the midst of following the Lord, taking on human responsibility that God has called us to do, how can we, in the midst of that, pursue righteousness? And then, to take it further, how can we have a strategy for righteousness, for holiness. Two things real quick. One is a five-second rule. This may sound weird, but just go with me for a second. Now, this, this applies to temptation, the things that test us, um, that things that we have to resist. It's the resistance side of sanctification. And so what we've got to do, we've got to hold up the promise of God. We've got to believe it and then use that to push out temp, uh, temple Thoughts, temptation, these, these thoughts that, that control our, our mind, that uh, pursue us to get us to sin. Look, we've got about five seconds. And then, you know, I mean, I, I say this, you know, give or take. You've got about five seconds to push this thought, this temptation out of your mind. And, and pursue something, a, a promise that's superior, that says Jesus is better. I don't, uh, he's sufficient. I don't need this in my life I, because he's better, that he's sufficient. We've got about five seconds to push it out or pursue the temptation. This is the resistance side of sanctification. James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this may sound weird and may sound dumb, but it really does yield a peaceful fruit of righteousness. We see this in Hebrews 12. And look, you can't stop temptation. It's, it's going to be there. And we're all tempted in different ways, tempted to sin in different, different ways. You can't stop temptation. It's going to be there, but you can disagree with it. You can hold on to the promises of God and whatever the, God's word says in this situation and push it out. Because the longer you dwell on that temptation, the more you're susceptible to pursue it. The more you're susceptible to forget the promises of God that he's sufficient, that he's all that we need. And look, this, I get it, this, you know, this isn't, you know, that effective. I mean, it's quick. The more we dwell on something, the more we're going to pursue it. Um... Just having a five-second rule is not really going to 
in the long term of things not going to really be helpful for us. And the reason this is not really that helpful, and you ask why would you submit something that's not really that helpful, and it's because most Christians are running on empty. That's the second thing I want to point out, is that you only have just a few seconds to push out these thoughts before you act on them, because the longer you, you dwell on them, the more likely you're going to pursue it. But the reason that that's not really effective is because most of us are running on empty. So many times we try to just resist temptation. And that's only half of sanctification. We've got to rely on the strength of the Lord. Second Corinthians 3, Paul says that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed for this transformation comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. All right? So when it comes to fighting and overcoming temptation, we've got to resist, but that's only half of it. We've got to draw on the strength from the Lord. How can we, can, how can we hold on to a, a claim in God's Word and a promise when it's not in our heart? This transformation comes from the Lord. We're fixing our, our eyes, our gaze on the glory of the Lord. And we do that mainly in God's Word. We linger, we meditate, we take Scripture, we, we marinate in God's Word. We ask God to incline our hearts to His Word. And we just linger on the descriptions of the beauty of who Jesus is and His glory. And the longer we do that, the more frequent we do that. And when that temptation comes, remember, we can't avoid it. The easier it's going to be to disagree with it, use God's word to push it out. It's the only way. It's the only way. The reason that Ruth didn't give in to temptation because she sought refuge in the Lord. The reason that Boaz pumped the brakes and stops was because he was such a God-saturated man. Hebrews 2, so we fix our eyes on the Lord, and then in that moment, we're able to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and lets us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder perfecter of our faith. And sometimes laying aside that weight means laying aside the situation that will get us to lead us to sin in the first place. And sometimes it's easy for us to, to play this comparison. So well, well, Ruth and Boaz, they, they were in this situation. They didn't mind being led to that situation. But let me tell you, you're not Ruth. Women, you're not Ruth in this. You, you can't compare yourself. Guys, you're not Boaz. You're not that strong. When we put ourselves in the story, sometimes we put a weight on our shoulders that, that we're not able to carry. So we've got to trust Jesus and lean on his word. And, and th- give you an example, and, you know, I'm not even going to address, you know, the this, this situation. Because depending on what you view on what the Bible says, and as far as freedom uh, and drinking, sometimes we'd be like, we're like, well, Jesus drank. Trying to, and, and you know, I'm not even going to go there with what the scripture says or doesn't say. But in that moment, you're comparing yourself, your self control skills to Jesus. You won't really want to try that. Jesus is, is fully God, 
fully, has all of the fruits of the Spirit, all of the spiritual gifts, and then you're going to try to compare yourself. Look, don't even go there. There's a, a weight, and the Bible says to let, lay it aside. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So, I just want to bring one last thought as we close. This one last thought is going to lead us into next week. If we go back to verse 12, chapter 3, it says, And now it is true, Boaz talking to Ruth, he says, It's true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. So a couple of things here um, on this word redeemer, what that means in Ruth the book of Ruth, all four chapters, the word redemption in some form is used 23 times. All right, this is one of the main themes in this story is redemption. Now, in those days, if you had any debt, all right, your property was deeded out to pay for your debt. But you, but you can buy it back at any time. All right, there's no stipulations as far as how long that were to occur. But here's the deal, you, you had to buy it back. You had to have the money to be able to buy it back. And so evidently, uh, Elimelech, his two sons, had some debt. And unfortunately, because of the circumstances, Naomi and Ruth couldn't afford, they couldn't buy back their debt. You had to have somebody who could redeem it, and a family member could do it. It's called a kins- kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer had to have three things. One, they had to have the right to do it. All right? The right meaning that you had to be the closest of kin to be able to do this. Second, you had to have the resources. You had to have the money to actually pay off the debt. If you couldn't, if you didn't have the money, you're not a redeemer. You're not considered a kinsman redeemer because you had to have the resources to be able to pay off the debt. And then third, you had to have the resolve. You had to want to. You didn't have to. You weren't bound to do this, but you, I mean, you had to want to. And so what we see at the end of, towards the end of chapter 3 is that Boaz, a man of God, again in verse 12, doing what's right. He recognizes that, he, that he's not in right standing to be able to do this. Look, he has the resources, he has the wealth to be able to pay off this debt. He has the resolve. We see uh, in, in chapter 2, how much love and grace that he pours towards Ruth. We see that he has the resolve. And he, in, in verse 13, he says, look, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. But what he didn't have, he didn't have the right. Evidently, there was, there was another relative of Elimelech that w- was closer in line. And so what we d- have here is at the end of chapter 3, he's like, look, I want to go find out. If he redeems you, let him do it. Great. But if not, I want to tell you, as the Lord lives, it's going to be me. And he has this resolve. And so we end here with two people pursuing each other, not being passive, all right? Not just leaving it up to chance, Lord, that the Lord somehow is going to uh, work it all together. Uh, that trusting that he is, but in the midst of that, taking some responsibility along the way, but then also pursuing, seeking righteousness along the way. This is incredible, incredible picture. And so a, a question, is a life of integrity in tough times worth it? 
we look at Ruth and Boaz and we see that it is. And so as we, we close, just let me ask you, whatever your relationship is, whatever status that you, you're in, if you're single, are you pursuing holiness? And do you have a strategy for holiness? If you're married, in your marriage, are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing righteousness? Do you have a strategy, a plan for being righteous and being holy in your marriage? It's not just avoiding evil. It's not just avoiding temptation and avoiding sinful things because, look, it's not going to take you far. You've got to have a strategy for righteousness, and it comes from seeking the Lord in His Word. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, it's, it's you. It's, you're the place that we find hope. Lord, you're the, you're the place that we find refuge. So, Lord, let us, Lord, incline our hearts, Lord, for your word. Lord, let, let your word stir in our hearts, Lord. Just in, and when the moments come and we're faced with this temptation, Lord, to, um, to sin, whatever that is, Lord, give us the strength to take hold of the promises that are in your word, to believe it, Lord, and to use it to push it out, to push these sinful thoughts, these attitudes out of our mind. Lord, we give you praise and glory. Thank you for provisions, uh, making ways for us to, to escape and to flee temptation. Lord, help us to recognize that, to pursue it. We love you. It's in your name I pray. Amen.